Well, well, welcome to Between Sundays. I'm your host, Marin Gaffrin, and I don't know it all. I'm just going to start there. I don't know it all. And neither does Barry. Barry is here to talk to us about the path of truth. But before I say his name one more time, now that he is back from hanging with his best dog, Jurgen, please <laughs> say hello to my favorite time-traveling vampire, Barry Rodriguez. Good day, Barry. Good day, Marin. Wow, that was that was a sublime. That was perfect. <laughs> well done. Who needs Tyler? That was a great intro. You know, we always work best under pressure and we started this intro or this this pod and neither one of us had an intro. No, that was that was Worked good. I, that you just pulled that out. It was way better than anything I would have come up with. <laughs> so, so where is uh, Tyler? The, yeah, Tyler is taking the week off today or this week because I basically twisted his arm and said you you will find a week and you will take a whole week off this but June or July, so be it. And was it under so like he, threat? I yeah, and I was like, dude, you, you don't. Need, I, yeah, I was like, this is <laughs> this is a big deal because he's he just wants to work all the time. He's like, well, I, I'll take a few days here. I was like, no, a yeah. full week. Yeah, and you have to pick it. So I can't I relate him. to that at like, all. I'm your boss now, so you've got to uh, <laughs> <laughs> got to take a vacation. Yeah. That's so how. we we were at his house. Uh, Friday night, I want to say, me and Jed and both kids had dinner at, at Tyler's house and he was talking to us about this impending vacation. Uh -huh. Of course, he's not going anywhere. I think he's digging holes in his yard. I think he's making a fire pit. Yes. And Jed has offered kindly to help him dig those holes. So That's we'll very see nice of Jed. If that will happen. Yeah. He, that, he said, Lauren's been wanting me to build a fire pit, so that's what I'll do. I was like, fine, that just don't work. That's fine. Just don't get on your email or whatever. <laughs> yes, I may exactly. try sending him some like some like decoy emails just to see if he responds. Then he'll Ooh, be in so much tricky. trouble. <laughs> tricky. Yeah, I didn't I, even remember he wasn't going to be here this week till you said it was just the two of us on the pod today. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. well. Okay. Yeah, I, I forgot too. So, hey, here we are. So we're going to yeah. probably keep it a little bit shorter because we don't have Tyler to keep prompting us with insightful questions. Um, but yeah, let's let's do our best, Marin. What do you think? I think. How are I, you? I, what <laughs> what has been going on? You you said before the pod that you didn't want to spoil it when I oh. asked you how you guys have been doing. So oh, it's, I'm it's not expecting like I have, incredible no, things. No, no, no. It's not like I have a big reveal. I think you asked if I was busy over the weekend. Ah, uh, yes. And I think so. Monday there was a prayer vigil in Fishers that I participated mm -hmm. in. Saturday was recording. Wednesday had a friend over to talk about world events. Thursday had more friends over to talk about world events. Friday wow. at Tyler's, you bet it, we talked about world events. <laughs> and then Saturday, there was not one but two North Indy parties where we pretty much wound up talking about world events. So it's wow. just been a lengthy week of awesome, fulfilling conversations. But every single night, it's been it's been another conversation. World events. Well, I was world planning events. on just talking specifically about world events this whole time, but let's <laughs> I'm not. I'm so primed and ready. <laughs> Talk to me, Barry. Oh, Goodness. Man. No, I think your sermon uh, gives us plenty to talk about. Plenty. <laughs> sure, but before sure. we get to that, what, before what we have go there. you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, I'm enjoying the, uh, the weather. I spent, I'm still kind of sore. I spent several hours the other day um, on my day off Friday. I was pretty much the entire morning till like the mid afternoon. I was out in my permaculture food forest prepping. I was sheep mulching a, an area, which is a lot of fun. And by that, I mean, it's not a lot of fun doing it manually, but basically you want to like turn just open grass into a really nice, um, rich 
yes. soil area. So you put down cardboard as a I whole layer and then you get it all wet and then you cover it with something. So I covered it with, I still have this massive heap of, of really, really old horse manure that's super rich. Oh. And uh, so I covered it all with that. And then I took all this leftover mulch that my neighbor, that the, the people who lived here before had left and I put that all over it. And then I, th- I threw some um, leaf mulch like old mm-hmm. leaves on top of that. And I just like soaked it all and watered it all. So what that'll do is it'll slowly break down and all the grass underneath will decompose. And it'll be this nice kind of like rich spongy top layer that I can start planting into either later this year or next year. Um, so that's, I'm going to eventually do that to a really huge area in the back area with a big fence around it. But that was just, this was kind of like a, an experiment, huh. um, especially cause it's, the way that I planted all my plants, I can't mow between them, but there was still grass. And so it was a huge hassle. So now I'm trying to get rid of all the grass yeah, so that yeah. I can actually, I don't have to mow. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. that's what so I did. And I've, I've actually kind of heard of that. It sounds like something I read up on a couple months ago called lasagna gardening or yeah, lasagna yeah, garden. Similar. Is it yeah. kind of like that? Where you just, you're layering different, you know, useful things to kind of mimic what's like on a forest floor and mm-hmm. how kind of nature would naturally operate if, we weren't involved. So, right. Yeah. I kind of yeah. wanted to get into it, but it didn't seem like it would yield usable, plantable dirt for this year right. or this season. Yeah. And I kind of wanted it right away. Yeah. But, it takes, it takes a little bit of time for it to really kind of become what it is hoping to become. But I will say, uh, we've been using my, our neighbor gave us this stuff called black dirt. I don't even know what it is. It's she said it was from some like old peat moss, thing ancient peat moss or something like that i was like okay and she so she gave us a big pile of that and she said it's super great for for uh, plants and then we still have this huge pile of horse manure and so we use we mix those two together to fill our raised beds and Marin, huh? holy cow we are growing an insane amount of kale and lettuce and cilantro i mean we're talking like the cilantro is like is like three foot high now and wow. the kale is just giving us massive uh. leaves every single day our our rabbits are thrilled because it is an abundance. It's so fun. Are you starting yeah. to have people back over to your house? Because this is something I think that I talk about Jaden all the time. Like, I feel like he would love to just like meander through your farm <laughs> and your yard. Yeah, uh, we are. We're slowly, we've had family over. We've had, um, yeah, like just little, little Henry came over and met the chickens the other day. Yes. And well, he, he had met them before, but a lot can change in, in a few months, but he was enamored by them. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, Jaden should come over and we'll, uh, we'll walk around and look at some stuff. Yeah. He, he would love that cilantro. That stuff's not for me, but he would love yeah. it. Are you one of the people that it tastes like soap? Yeah, it's gross. That's weird that some people feel that way. <laughs> anyway. That's interesting. Well, the bunnies, the bunnies are obsessed with it. They love it. Awesome. Um, so that's all good. The one other thing, which I don't know, we never really had a chance to talk about, but it's so wild. I feel like it has to come up at some point. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, during a yes. prayer gathering, I had the most stressful experience doing leading while leading a prayer gathering ever. And so I got to talk about that because it's just so weird. <laughs> I know that so, you've been waiting to tell this story. That, but yeah, like I've been wanting weeks. to, but it's like two weeks ago, we <laughs> didn't, we didn't have a pod. And then last week we dove right into re- world events. Right, and, right. and, uh, <laughs> and so I got to tell this story friends of the pod, because I just, it's just crazy. So the other day I won't belabor it, but the other day, uh, Olivia w- like got up early for some reason, she looked out the window and there was this, this, these two guys, uh, with a truck and a little trailer with a mower on top, like a really nice zero turn mower on top. Uh, and they were like in our driveway, 
the far side of our driveway, um, messing with the trailer and putting like a tarp over the mower or something like that. And she thought that's weird. They must, must just be tying something down, you know, so they can get back on the road. And then they just drove off with the truck and left the trailer there with this mower on top. And they, they like put a license plate on the trailer and stuff. And she was very confused. Well, no note. Nobody talked to us. It was just there all day long. And we're both like, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, I guess if nobody comes to pick it up by tomorrow, I'll call the police non-emergency line and let them know that someone left their property on our property or whatever. But that night, while I'm trying to do the prayer gathering, which if you know, if you've been tuning in, we do it kind of like as a live broadcast. And um, so I'm I'm talking and <laughs> Wait, right when we go over to Brad a live to broadcast, worship. A live broadcast right in front of your picture window. Yeah, right. right. So I'm looking so you basically I'm looking everything. at the camera and then right out the front <laughs> going the front on. yard. Yeah. That's not and, distracting uh, at all. No, not at all. But as I'm as I'm we're, we're doing the prayer gathering, go, go over to Brad leading worship, and just then I see a man walking right past my window up to our front door. So I like mute my microphone, run over to the front door, and he says, Hey, um, that trailer, what do you know about that? And I was like, I so I don't know. Some guys just dropped it off. Do you know? Is it your and he said, Yeah, it's mine. It was stolen from my property this morning. And uh, that w I was trying to say, yeah, basically he was trying to sell his mower and these guys drove up their truck early in the morning, oh, wow. attached the trailer to their truck and drove off. But he had chained one of the wheels, uh, to like, it was changed. So it, the, the wheel popped or the, the tire popped as on the trailer. And so they parked it in our property until they could go get another tire, another wheel wow. during the day. And so that's what was going on. And so I was like, I've, I'm in the middle of something, so I'm going to have to turn you over to my <laughs> wife. And he was like, are you okay if I call the police? I was like, yeah, please do. So I come back and we're doing the prayer gathering and it was focused on families. We were talking about praying for families and, uh, as uh, you know, affected by the pandemic. And so, uh, Chad and Molly Moore were, were our guests. And so there are kids screaming in the background um the the uh, tech there was a tech issue behind the scenes and so the people i hear in my ear telling me tech stuff uh they were i i could i could hear their conversation with one another as i'm trying to like do this interview and just then i see police cars tearing into my driveway and so there's all these police cars <laughs> driving in um long story short it was the guy it, they they were trying to steal it and so the police decided we're going to do a stakeout and so they drove one of their cars and parked it back in our property a ways back kind of behind one of the barns where they could see it from a distance and and so Liv and I are like we we talked to the guy and the police officer asked him if he needs anything or whatever and he didn't so we just were we're inside thinking how crazy is that and then about 30 minutes later this is like 7 p.m 8 p.m i i look and i see a box truck pulling up into our driveway it pulls up right back up to the trailer and i was like um that's them they're here to come and get this trailer wow. so i go bolting out and i i get the police officer's attention i, I kind of went the back way so the guy wouldn't see me and i was like do you see him he's like yeah yeah <laughs> he, he saw him he was on the on the radio and immediately he flips on his sirens and goes up and just walks right out and arrests the guy, puts him in, in cuffs. And then a whole bunch of other police officers show up and they're out there talking to this guy for an hour. And then eventually someone came and got the trailer and someone got their box truck and oh they all just drove goodness. away. And I don't know what happened, but that, uh, that is how a man got arrested on our property an on hour after property. I was trying to do uh, a prayer gathering. So in your first year of living there, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. had quite the adventure. You know, it, you Rod. never know living out here in Noblesville, what, what you're going to experience. So, so <laughs> anyway. it just makes me want to go back and rewatch that prayer gathering, knowing oh, now I so what I know. I just want to mm -hmm. see your face. I want to watch dad you said, just try to keep your cool through it all. I, I called dad 
uh, and mom later that night to tell them about it. And before anything, dad was like, yeah, what was going on? You seemed kind of, uh, you <laughs> seemed kind of agitated during that prayer. Only a dad like, would know. Let me tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> Only a dad would know. Oh man. That's anyway, amazing. So uh, I just had to tell that story because that was just so wild. The things that you never think you're going to have to be able to do, like keeping your cool while kids are screaming in your ear and you're trying to do a, a meaningful interview for a prayer gathering while police cars are driving into yeah, your driveway. There's a stakeout on your property while you're yeah, doing a prayer gathering. These are, the, these are the experiences that get you the uh, the grit you need to be in ministry. <laughs> that's so. right. That's right. Welcome. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, things are good. Things are good. Everybody's good. The bunnies, the baby bunnies are really growing up fast, which is fun, but um, it means there are a lot of mouths to feed. So I'm glad that our garden is yeah. <laughs> producing as much as it is. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Well, yep. Barry, you gave us more than enough, <laughs> more than enough. I mean, I know you want to keep this pod short, but this one could go for hours, <laughs> hours, hours, Barry. Good transition. Good yes. transition. Would Aaron. you kick us off by just telling us once again, your big idea and sure. what you hope people would walk away from this message with? Sure. Um, yeah. So these three messages are kind of interesting because they're, they're kind of my way of trying to say what I think are kind of at the core of what makes grace distinct, as well as kind of where I see us heading in light of what scripture has to say. And so in this particular message, I was talking about the concept of truth and like, how do we, as Grace Church, make sense of reality? How do we know what's true? How do we deal with learning and all that? And so um, I went to Psalm 25, where the psalmist is, is pleading with God, show me the right path to walk. You know, let, let me, I want to trust in you. I want to I want to do what you think is best for me. I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, um, and says essentially like, show me your truth, God. And so I'm, I went to that passage and, and basically had it teach us a little bit about what is truth and, and how do we, how, what kind of posture do we take when we approach truth? And so, uh, my big idea, and we can get into some of the specifics, but my big idea, when you put it all together was there is truth, but none of us have it all. So let's pursue it together. Let's pursue that truth together. Um, and that that phrase, there is truth, but none of us have it all, is kind of, it's one of those really seemingly simple ideas that when you start really digging into it, realize it's like, oh, this is mm. this is actually a lot more complicated than I might it might seem at first blush. Because to, the idea that no one has all of the truth means that we actually then, if we want to grow in the truth, have to go looking for it. We have to go, you know, seeking it and asking others and learning from others. And so I talked a lot about how the, the posture that, uh, you know, Psalm 25 says that, that the Lord teaches the humble, uh, the, and he leads them. And so if he's teaching the humble, then what does it mean for us to be humble? And, it, and I talked a lot about us acknowledging our own inherent biases, our own lenses and, uh, and the potential fruit that can come when we allow those from other vantage points on the truth to speak into our lives. Like, uh, you know, those from other cultures, those from other generations as us, those who are different those socioeconomic who, backgrounds. Those who yeah. hear the Holy Spirit in a language other than English, just to yes. quote you, <laughs> quote you yeah. there. Yeah, that was a quote. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of little zingers in this you message. Did. I, I, yeah. Um, so yeah, all that to say, the, the more we are exposed to the truth about Christ from those who have a different vantage point than us, the richer and deeper our knowledge of the truth is. And I may, I was trying to be clear, like, I'm not saying that we necessarily are wrong in our truth, yes. in, in what we believe to be true about God. Yes. It's just that it's more, 
it's almost impossible for it to not be incomplete. Yeah. We, we see things only partly because I, I use an analogy of God. If God is a mountain, then any one of us as an individual can only see one side of it at a, at a time. And so we've got to listen to the voices of others if we want to have a more holistic understanding of who mm. God is. So how, um, it's been interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. How old were you when you first realized you didn't, you didn't have the whole truth? I, I think I can remember back to my early 20s where I was and the reasons around why my mind started to open to yeah. um, other uh, denominations within the faith and their lens through which they saw scripture. And yeah. I, I can remember being in my early 20s, being raised in one denomination my entire life, early 20s, moving to Chicago for the first time in my life, being outside of that one denomination, Sure. getting to know Christians from all walks of faith and, and all ages, that was kind of my awakening, I guess, in my early 20s of like, whoa, yeah. we did yeah. not, in fact, corner the market <laughs> on all things pertaining to faith and God. Yeah. Were you in your early 20s? When would you say this happened to you? Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Same same time frame in my life. And I think it's, I mean, it's probably a normal time for most people to go through some questions about the assumptions that they've had growing up. I mean, that's part of your early twenties anyway, but for me, it was at college. I was at uh, Bible college and I had come from grace where, like I said, we've always been a church that learns that's comfortable with wrestling and, uh, have an openness to, to the fact that we've, you know, we're, we're all, we don't, we may not know everything and we're, mm -hmm. we're going to learn. And I went to my school where the exact opposite was true. People had extreme certainty oh, yeah. that their, that their mindset was the correct one, that their understanding of truth was the correct one, that their interpretation of scripture was the correct one. And what ended up happening was it was really jarring for me to come from a, a place where I was allowed to kind of wrestle and, and come to, um, you know, certain conclusions based on what I believed was true to all of a sudden being in a place where I literally had the, 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 well, the professors kind of, not all of them, some of them were great, but many of them had what I would call a mentality or sort of a posture of you'll not, you, you'll understand why we're right when you're older. Yes. It's like, that's kind of the, the way that they kind of approached it. And totally. it actually got to the point where there was one specific doctrine that I was just, I was questioning, I was wrestling with, cause it did the answers for why it was true did not add up for me. I mentioned mm -hmm. in the sermon that I'm really skeptical. And so I want to know, like prove to me why that's real. If, you mm -hmm. know, if, if you're going to say that this is the way it is, then give me some good rationale for it. Don't just make me assume don't just say that I have to believe it without any back basis. And one of my fellow students, one of my friends, still friends to this day, but he, uh, was the TA for one of the profs in the biblical studies department. And he went to that prof and said, my friend is struggling with this doctrine. What do I do to help him? And the guy and the prof said, well, what's his major? And he said, well, biblical studies. And since he was the head of the biblical studies department, he called me into his office, this professor, and essentially said, if you don't believe this, if you don't change your mind about this, then you better get out. Like you wow. better leave because, you know, so all that to say, it was one of those things where I was, wow. that was not what oh, I needed at all in that moment. And so no wonder I went through a phase of deconstruction in my faith. Cause I'm like, not only is this, are your arguments unconvincing to me right now, but you're also telling me that I have to believe this or get out yeah. without giving me any proof. So that that's kind of when it, when yeah. it all began, but like I meant, so I actually dropped out of college after my junior year, as I, I've talked about before, I'm sure. But 
it was that moment when I dropped out of college that I ended up getting this internship in Nairobi where mm -hmm. I went and spent the year. And so God really did. He, he, he opened a, a new door for me by sending me to Kenya right in my lowest moment of deconstruction and doubt. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's like I said in the message, that's when I began to be exposed to people who didn't, who didn't stay up late at night debating the finer points of predestination. They just lived, they lived out the teachings of scripture and loved one another. And, um, you know, and there's not to say that there's something, anything wrong with going there and discussing these theological points that that's not what I'm saying, but to them, the, their, their faith was a practical faith. And it, it showed me another side of belief to the kind of, uh, dogmatic side that I had been exposed to in, in school. So yeah, yeah one, one of my 20s. favorite quotes from this sermon, you said, the point is not to know right facts about God. The point is to walk with him on the path so that our broken world can be healed in Jesus yeah. name. I love yeah. that you said that truth is a path to be walked, not yeah. just this list of arbitrary rules and right. that makes more sense. It's kind of, it's kind of like the world behind the text of Barry. Yeah. Like to know that you had come right from Bible school, where you were in some ways handed a list of arbitrary right. rules, believe it or get out, to go and just see what you saw. Tell us more about that. Tell us what struck you. And, and how long did it take to strike you? Did, was it immediately recognizable? Like, whoa, these people are just living out their faith. Or did it take a couple months of you being there before you saw them living it out? What was that like yeah. for you? I think it was, I mean, the whole, the whole year, it's hard to pinpoint moments in it because the whole year just like completely redid my entire self. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was all the things that I, that were so, that had, were so true of me before I went to Kenya. They did, I thought were the core of my identity, my sense of humor, my way of engaging with people, my mind, none of those things translated in Kenya at all. Like people did not think I was funny. Like at least charm, not, not your first. wit, it didn't my charm, work. Yeah, <laughs> my good looks, none of it. Um, yeah, no. Um, and so including kind of my, my way, my, even my, my way of approaching theology and the questions that I would ask from scripture, um, you know, I mean, Western evangelicals have a very particular way, and, and we're still influenced by this today, but of, of approaching scripture to say that ultimately there is the, the meaning of this passage and our job is just to figure out what the meaning is. You know, we, we approach it with this certainty that all we have to do is figure out what Paul meant when he said that, and then we're done. We know what this passage means. And I was in Kenya where a lot of the Christians that I was with, they, they were less concerned about finding the meaning and they were more concerned about how this passage changes them or how this, what, what this could say to us. And so that's a bit uncomfortable for, for very rationalistic Westerners to think that, that the spirit speaking through a, scri a scripture passage might involve the spirit saying something that's not, um, that's not the one correct interpretation, which again, I'm not saying that this is, that they're necessarily right. They don't have a complete corner on the truth any more than we do, but their, their willingness to allow the spirit to speak through scripture yeah. was so much more vibrant than the mm -hmm. sort of wooden, uh, scientific way that I had approached it as an, as an example. And so, well, and it sounds uh, yeah. like, it sounds like more humble, Barry, because mm -hmm. I've been in the camps 
of people who want to argue predestination or not predestination. Right. And most of the time <laughs> I could characterize those arguments as like a complete and utter lack of humility. This was not right. a mutual surrender. This was not considering others as, as greater than right. myself or considering their needs ahead of my own. This was, I got it right. You're an idiot. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. It was very divisive that way. So it sounds like what you experienced in Kenya was less of the haughty, dogmatic yeah. side and more of the humble, just living it out, grassrootsy yeah. side. And to be, I mean, to be frank, a lot of it had to do with the fact that many of the people I was engaging with, their concerns were for their livelihood, their family's well-being, uh, survival, food. Mm -hmm. They were not, I mean, as far as the whole, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like they were not just thinking about self-actualization and pondering mm -hmm. philosophy. They were, they were trying to figure out how to survive in a very brutal world. And so for them, scripture was, was a, was a practical tool. It was a practical word, not a thought provoking or philosophical word, philosophical word. Um, so I think, yeah, just mm -hmm. in, in all those ways, I think I just saw a different context and uh, combined with all of the awareness of my own, um, I mean, everything, any time you do cross-cultural work, the biggest thing that changes is your own understanding of your Absolutely. own culture, right? Absolutely. Because you you become way more aware of like, oh, wow, we just assume that that's the way things work. And oh, oh wow, that's yeah. the way that I interpret a situation like that. But that's not how they interpreted the situation, you know? And mm -hmm. I, so I could talk about that for, for hours and hours. It, it, all of that combined made me very much more aware of my own, my own mentality and my own worldview. And that only increased as I started traveling after that more and more, I went to other countries and, you know, I spent time in India where, yeah, it, I'll just say this. There were conversations I had that were infuriating because I was talking to someone who completely did not see the world the way I saw it. So you've traveled and you've gained all this perspective. Talk to me about the lenses that you mentioned in your sermon this week. Would you say that when, when you traveled abroad, as you began to see things from another vantage point, what does that do? Does that clean your lens? Does that replace your lens? Does it kind of broaden your lens? Like what, what would you say that, that did for you? Yeah. Um, good question. I think two things. One, I think it's more just about being aware of the lens being there in the first place. Mm. And so, you know, okay, for example, when I read something about faith in Jesus, I know that I am almost always going to initially assume that that has to do with an individual person making an individual choice to follow Jesus because I'm from a very individualistic culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is not natural for me to immediately think of that in any other way other than hyper-individualistic. So having been in cultures that are collectivistic, where conceivably an entire community could choose or not choose whether to follow Jesus. I mean, I saw that in India. I saw a whole village decided to follow Jesus one day. And I'm like, but did each individual do that? Like, what about ah. the children? They didn't profess to follow Jesus. And you know, but then you read scripture, you read Acts, and you see that same kind of thing yes. happening. This household just decides to follow Jesus. It, it all it does is what it. At first, it just makes me aware. Okay, I'm I'm gonna read almost everything 
in my world through an individualistic lens. That's not necessarily wrong, but yeah. it's really, really useful to understand that that's where I'm coming from. Uh, and then the other thing that it does is it begins to open my eyes to the fact that there may be other ways of looking at it. To, like mm -hmm. to use the same example, to realize when I'm reading about uh, Paul saying the word you it's as a plural, you know, he may actually be referring to you plural. He may not just be referring to you as a collection of individuals. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So like to, to read a passage and realize that there may be a way that we as a community can hear this that's different than me as an individual hearing this. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily let me realize like, okay, so I know what that means or I know how to interpret it that way, but it makes me aware of like, wow, that may be a different way of interpreting it. And I don't know how they might read that, but I want to know. So mm -hmm. um, I had this idea and I haven't done it yet. Maybe I'll do it someday, but I have these really um, just beautiful friendships with uh, people from all these different countries that I, that I spent time with. And I thought, how cool would it be to ask, uh, you know, Pastor Fred from, from Kibera Slum in Kenya and uh, Ira Venglovska from U Mission to Ukraine and uh, Pranjal Torde from India and like have all these different leaders all give a, their interpretation of one particular Bible mm, passage, that would be you know, or cool. something like that. And just see without any, without seeing anything that the others were saying, like, what would they come to? What would they, what would they notice in this passage? What would right. they see in it? And just as an example of just how various our, our viewpoints are. Even um, just what is this yeah. speaking to your heart right now in this season of where you Absolutely. are? Because depending yeah. on what's going on in either of those ministries, in any of those ministries, it might speak, um, a different word even even if let's say you had them interpret the passage of the good samaritan that parable sure they might all come to the same conclusion about what that means about loving your neighbor who isn't like you they, they could easily come to the same conclusion but the application and what it means personally to their ministries or their ministry areas might be completely different and yeah. that's just cool to me that always just shows me how alive the word of god is just yeah. how living and active and like a heartbeat the word of God is. Um, I love that Barry. That'd be, that would be awesome. Yeah. So and go I, ahead. I wanted to give, I wanted to give people uh, the ability to get a taste of this. If they're, I said, you know, maybe you're not able to go cross-cultural. Maybe you're not, you know, right. whatever, a seminary student. So I, I suggested a book for people to read and I, I probably should have put more caveats on it because it will challenge people. If they read it, they're mm -hmm. going to be challenged because some of these ideas do not jive with our, our oh, standard Barry, That's never American, stopped you before. Yeah. Right. We gotta, <laughs> gotta go ahead and keep on challenging. We are a church that learns, right? You don't have to agree with what it says, but one of the stories, which I, I wanted to put in the sermon, I had to cut for time. Um, again, if I just could have an hour for every sermon, I'd probably be happy. But um, there's a story in this this book by Justo Gonzalez. The book's called um, Santa Biblia, the Bible Through Hispanic Eyes. And in the book, he describes the parable of the the vineyard owner and the, the workers that he goes out to hire throughout mm. the day. So if you're not familiar with the story, put simply, he's got to do some harvesting in his vineyard or something. And so he goes into town, he finds these laborers looking for a job and he says, all right, come work in my field for the day. I'll, I'll give you a day's wages. And they're like, great. They hop on the camel, probably just walk over and, uh, and then they work. And then he goes back out in the midday and he sees some more people waiting for it, looking for a job. And he's like, all right, come on over. And so they come over and work. And then he goes towards the end of the day, only like a couple hours of work left. And he says, Hey, come on out to the field. Uh, you know, you can come work for me. And so they do. And then at the end of the day, the, all the workers, uh, you know, 
come up to get their pay and the people who he hired last come up first and he says, all right, here you go. Here's a day's wages. And the people who worked all day were like, oh, wow, he's going to be he's going to give us a ton of money. And so and he does the same amount to the mm. second people, the same amount to the, the people who worked all day. And they're like, hey, this isn't fair. We worked all day. And he's like, hey, we agreed that we were going to pay you a day's wages. If I wanted to pay them more, so what? Like, that's that's my choice. So he points out, Justo Gonzalez points out in the in the story that as a kind of a Western middle and upper middle class audience, when we tend to read that story, we our, our initial reaction of the point of it, because obviously the vineyard worker represents God, and we look at the point as, okay, it was unjust what he did. It wasn't fair what he did, but God's grace is bigger than fairness. Hmm. So we don't get what we deserve. We get God's grace. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we look at it. We, the whole point is that it wasn't fair what he did. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, and yeah, however you want to interpret like. Right. Yeah. It's upside down. It's not fair what he did. Uh, it's not It's not just, if you want to use that word. But when you actually uh, ask Latino migrant workers or day laborers their perspective on the passage, uh, Gonzalez goes on and says, essentially, their version of it, they look at that and they think, what a just man. Because... They understand what it's like waiting all day, hoping against hope that someone's going to hire them. They understand what it's like not having roots, but knowing they have to provide for their family. Yeah. And and they would notice the fact that these workers who were there at the end of the day had been waiting the entire day, hoping that they'd be able to work. They were willing to work all day, but they didn't get a job until the end of the day. And mm. so this, this, this vineyard wor- uh, owner was actually being extremely just because he wasn't just giving them what they, uh, you know, what they worked for. He didn't just get them what they deserved. He was giving them what they needed to provide for their family. Yes, <laughs> which, yes. which is so beautiful. And listen to this this um, uh, quote. I, I think I kept it. Yeah, uh, Gonzalez says, "Common justice would wash its hands of any responsibility for these unfortunate ones who did not find enough work to earn a living." This utterly just landowner, in contrast, pays them what they need and what they would have been ready to earn had they been hired earlier. Yeah. So I, I just. Well, and as you mentioned earlier, Barry, yeah. if we're thinking about it through our Western individualistic lens, it's yeah. easy to view that as unfair. Are you kidding? I've been out right. here laboring all day. That guy just got here an hour ago and you're going to give him the same amount of pay you're going to give me. Like yeah. there's a certain part of me that gets angry when I read that. Yeah. But if I'm thinking about it, not from an individu- individualistic lens, but from more of you know, I, my grandfather's from Mexico, so yeah. I can speak a little bit to Latin American family, the concept of the family mm. unit. If I'm a day laborer and me and my son are out there hoping we can make some wages to bring home some money for the family, mm-hmm. family oriented, and I get hired at six in the morning, but my son waits out there in the heat all day just hoping that someone will come and grab him and he finally does in the ninth hour he gets chosen to come and and work in this field if my son gets the same amount of pay that i do that is a day of rejoicing yeah that's that's a that's a a business owner who suddenly looks very generous and it completely Mm -hmm. flips our concept of that story on its head to view it from a different vantage point right so again that's not to say that my understanding of the owner's grace is wrong it's just incomplete because there's another aspect of it where there's a level of of extraordinary justice in what he does and so it all it does is it forces me to have a conversation and have have a a broader 
you know, the, to chew on the passage longer and really, that's why it's a parable. That's why Jesus was so brilliant is because you, there's depth to these simple, simple stories. And by having conversations with those who are not like us, or even being exposed to others' viewpoints, uh, it, it draws out of us that sense of, oh, that's not how I would have thought of it. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to consider it again. And, um, yeah, so that that kind of thing, and like I said, I was really, really blessed by by Fuller Seminary's commitment to making sure that every one of our classes. I mean, it did not matter what the topic was. I guarantee you, there were going to be some very out there uh, sources, not out there from a doctrinal theological. Like nobody was, they were, we weren't reading like heretics or stuff, but we were we were reading vantage points that were different. I mean, I was exposed to how an Eastern Orthodox person might read a passage like that that doesn't happen in my day to day when I'm just reading only evangelical scholars. So, so I think, um, I think here comes the rub, Barry. Yeah. We are, we are brought up as Christians to vehemently defend the faith mm-hmm. and defend what, what we're taught as true. And so lots of people come to grace church because it's non-denominational. They're coming from different backgrounds. Some have no, you know, biblical foundation whatsoever. Some came from a Baptist tradition. Some came from a Pentecostal tradition. Some came from a Catholic tradition and so on and so forth. So I think when people hear you say, you know, I, I, I was given things to read from South African uh, black liberation theologists or from Catholic eco-feminists. I think there's a tendency in some people to go, Whoa, cool your jets, Barry, slow down. Are you suggesting that all of it is truth? That everything you read at Fuller Seminary was truth and opened your eyes? Or what, what are you saying when you talk about why you're glad Fuller provided that opportunity for you? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. That is such a great question. Um, no, there's definitely some stuff I read that I was like, that, that's, that's dumb. <laughs> like, there's no way that's true. Um, you don't have to say did, what book that was, by the way. Yeah, I won't. What the I dumb won't, one was. But, but um, there were, it, what, it, what it did was it, it exposed me to the landscape of the possible and forced me to question my assumptions about the truth. Sometimes that led to me just writing it off and saying, I just don't see how that could possibly fit with what I understand to be true of mm-hmm. the gospel. And sometimes it led me to say, wow, have I, have I been always assuming something that's not entirely true? For example, um, and this isn't directly to theology necessarily, but uh, one of the, the I was in a, a class on the theology and ethics of Martin Luther King Jr. And as a part of it, we were exposed to some of the teachings of Malcolm X and uh, some of what he stood for and how he stood. And so I found it so fascinating that until that class, until I was actually exposed to what Malcolm X was saying, I had always assumed in my very simplistic understanding that, oh, Martin Luther King, he was the peaceful one. Malcolm X was the violent one. And they disagreed, but but Martin right. Luther King was right, right? You know, and then all of a sudden, I'm I'm hearing Malcolm X talk about his vantage point and and his perspective and why he didn't think nonviolent uh, resistance would ever get anywhere. And reading from him, all of a sudden, I was exposed to oh, I had a very simplistic understanding, and it was not accurate. Um, mm. Doesn't mean that that. Martin Luther King was wrong, that Malcolm X was right. I think nonviolence is more biblical. But at the same time, I realized that I, I had more to learn from Malcolm X than I had realized because I had just written him off as as 
violent and, Ma- and Martin Luther King was the only one to listen to. Maybe that's a weird, that's just the first uh, example that popped into my head. Um, I can get more specific when it comes to scripture. I actually had a couple of people write me concerned because yeah. they thought, wait a second, are you saying that, I mean, they basically went straight to, are you saying that every religion is, you know, leads Barry, to God? And- there, there's a little old lady that lives inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> that like she yeah. kind of pushed her glasses a little bit further down her nose at some yep, of the things you yep. said like now hold on there it's, she's, yeah, she's yeah. in there she's oh, there yeah. oh yeah <laughs> and and so I which I think is a great question I'm really glad that, that people asked it because um because absolutely I could see how th- what they were saying is so you're saying that there is no truth or that truth is relative or that everybody's truth is equally valid and I'm and I responded saying no in fact yeah. what I'm trying yeah. to say is there is truth I'm just yeah. saying that none of us have it all. So we are all going to be limited in our understanding of it. And I said, for example, mm-hmm. uh, specifically regarding like Jesus, they both mentioned uh, Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father of but course, through me. That's what we're taught to defend, and that is right, truth. Right, And yeah, and, and it is true, and it's absolutely true. The question is, what does it mean to come to the Father through Jesus? I was taught growing up that coming to the Father through Jesus, like, you know, just by my evangelical upbringing, not by my parents, but was just, you got to say a sinner's prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. That's what it means to, mm. to come to the Father through Jesus. Over time, I've been exposed to the fact that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is far more comprehensive. It is about God breaking into our world and bringing healing and restoration both to us and our sinful nature, but also to the world around us, to all of creation. And this, it's it's a present thing and a future reality. It's the afterlife and the this life and 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 then understanding that in when you read the gospels and you look at how Paul describes the the basics of the gospel in, in Romans one, he says the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ, who was born of David, uh, of the flesh and born of the spirit and is the son of God, that he came, died and was resurrected. That's the gospel. And I'm like, well, yeah, but what about individual salvation? What about heaven? For him, there was something. And so what, what I'm realizing now is my understanding that the gospel was an individualistic transaction between me and God so I don't mm. have to go to hell was compl- was incomplete. It's not wrong. It's not yes. wrong. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. And so, and so I think that's what I'm trying to get us to acknowledge that we have, um, we have a, a, a viewpoint, a vantage point on salvation, a vantage point on the gospel, uh, that, that doesn't take in the entire picture, uh, inevitably because we are individual humans and we need one another to be able to understand the truth of something so wild. All the, all the apostles, I, I looked just, just today, I was looking at examples. There are, there are probably a half a dozen or, or a dozen passages that all encourage the church to grow in your knowledge of Christ, yes. right? To grow in your knowledge. And why would that be the case if all you had to know is some fact about God or fact about Jesus to, it, it, there, is, there is growth, there is depth to it, to following Jesus that goes beyond just that, the transaction. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. So Yeah, um, if, if we, we preach Christ and, and him crucified. crucified. And if we start exalting any other name above the name of Christ, Grace Church, by all means, pack your tomatoes, bring them to church, and throw them at Barry as hard as you can. If we <laughs> yes, ever please. stop, if we ever stop exalting the name of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, you have my permission to do that. I I'll share a story from my own personal walk of life where this came into play. And again, it was at some point in my twenties. I 
was raised in a way whether they intended to raise me this way or not but I had very little grace for others when they sinned and very little grace for myself when I sinned yeah. to the point when in my 20s at some point I did something horrific and could not forgive myself and for months and months I struggled I I don't think I've ever said this on the pod before, but I, I wrestled with suicidal thoughts hmm. of just how could I have known the truth and then have strayed so far from the truth? You know, yeah. I, I knew Jesus. I wasn't a non-believer who has this super cool, like, redemption story because then I found Jesus. I right. had Jesus and I walked away from him. Yeah. How could I have left my first love? How could I have done this? And I just couldn't forgive myself. But I had other friends who were from a different Christian faith background, a different denomination than I was from. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't understand that at all, Barry. They're like, I just don't get the whole like self-deprecating thing. Like, mm. he is a God of grace. Like, don't you sing Amazing Grace? Do you not right. know that song? Like, right. the good news is good because... He forgives and he removes your past and your sin as far as the East is from the West. And there yeah. was this period in my 20s where that had to become real to me. And had I not had loving friends who were brought up yeah. differently than I was, Jesus was always the center. That was never in question. But it's right. the way we viewed his love and the way we viewed his finished work on the cross that hmm. I needed work on. I was seeing one side of the mountain and it was very, very treacherous and bleak. And yeah. I had a friend on the other side of the mountain saying, come over here. Like, look at this path. Yeah. This path yeah. is good. You won't want to die. You should come over here. Yeah. Thank you, right. Robert Powell, for doing that. You know, I, yeah. I'm still friends with the people who led me to this, who led me along the path of truth i was on the path of truth sure but i was at a different point on my journey and he helped me get to a little bit further down maybe that yeah. path of truth so yeah barry I, I listened to your message yesterday um some questions you know came into my mind um and so i just decided to just take a prayer walk yeah. um like i said it'd been a really long week long yeah. week of lots of discussions fruitful discussions but still mm -hmm. i'm tired and so I went to do what I know I'm supposed to do, uh, wait on the Lord to renew my strength. And I started walking uh, through my neighborhood on the sidewalk. And I started praying, God, do you weep? And I'm, I'm just weeping while I'm saying mm. this. Do you weep? I know that like you did weep over Jerusalem yeah. and you wanted to gather yeah. everyone like, like chicks and a hen yeah. and all. I know the story. <laughs> you want to gather yeah. us under your wings. But then you like ascended. You went back to heaven. So do you still weep? Hmm. Are you weeping right now at what you see? Do you see me weeping? Hmm. And so then my prayer changed to, Lord, do you rage? I know that in the Old Testament we see examples of your, of your anger. Yeah. Um, do you still do that? Are you raging right now? Are you angry right now? Hmm. And then I said, you know, can I, can I be on this path of truth 
and weep? Can I be on this, this path of truth, this lifestyle of seeking truth and rage? Can I, can I embody and house those emotions and still make my way down the pathway of truth? Or am yeah. I kind of stalled right now? Yeah. And then I asked, can the one who rages and the one who weeps share the path? Or are they mm. kind of staggered down the path? Like the guy who rages is, you know, 10 feet ahead of the woman who's weeping or vice versa. Sure. Can we walk this path together? And then I just started bawling. Okay, God, tell me more. Just, just tell me more. <laughs> tell me more <laughs> about this path of truth. Tell me more about this path of truth. And I said it over and over again. And then that led me into the prayer that I've been praying for the entire time that I've been at Grace. Lord, just walk with me. And I repeated that again and mm. again. Walk with me. Walk with me. Yeah. And I got about maybe three quarters of a mile away from my house when I heard my name over my shoulder. And mm. there were two people that I love from my campus, the Fishers campus, who just stopped to say hello. And wouldn't you know it, Barry, we stood there for about an hour mm. talking about world events. <laughs> You know, the one, and it's the one thing that you were, you had not <laughs> had a chance to do yet that week. Right, so. right, right, right. You know, I'm out there trying to like find rest for my soul, but mm. the Lord clearly brought this opportunity literally across my path. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was a really, again, fruitful, good conversation. I left that conversation feeling like, huh, thank you, Lord. Like you showed up. I was tired, but you used this conversation to kind of both encourage me and bring joy to my spirit and encourage them and help us all of us all three of us to get ourselves a little further down the path of truth hmm. and it was in real time so one of the things we had talked about was you know you mentioned you mentioned fake news at the beginning yeah of, yeah. of your sermon. And I think there's a, there's a cousin to fake news and it's like the, I'm going to make you see it from my vantage point uh -huh. meme uh -huh. <laughs> or quote or whatever it is where people use their social media accounts to just be like, bam, yeah, drop truth bomb. Now what? Is. You know? <laughs> yeah. And my question as I've had these conversations over this last week is, what is the desired end result of that that post? Like if I ever post something that that is something like that, just like, well, this is yeah. how I see the situation. Yeah. I I will think and think and think through to the the short end, this is what maybe mm -hmm. it will accomplish. The long end, this is what I right. super really hope it would accomplish, but likely it won't. You know, likely right. this person is not going to set aside years of firmly held belief because <laughs> they saw a cute meme that I posted. It's probably right. not going to happen that way. Right. I prefer real-time conversation. And yeah. the Lord has given me this week tons, <laughs> lots mm. of opportunities yeah. Yeah. for real-time conversation and in yesterday's example, while walking an actual path, like mm -hmm. a real path. Yeah. It was, it was such a cool illustration having just heard your message about what you saw, not, 
necessarily people arguing theology, but people just very practically figuring out how can we walk this path. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's that, a long story. That's cool. No, that's that's really cool, Marin. Yeah, I, I think what I was really hoping that people would just grasp is that, I mean, with all of it, but especially with faith, but all, I mean, also with Fox News and social media posts and everything, having that posture of humility, that willingness to acknowledge our own limitations and just to say, I know it's not possible that I have every every shred of the truth. And so yeah. I'm going to approach the world as a learner and not as a and not as a hammer dropper, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, th- th- I think that posture, I tweeted, Grace quoted me and said, uh, on Twitter and said, um, like, uh, what was the big idea? Oh yeah, there is truth, but none of us have it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, could you, I just said, can you even imagine, like, just think about what, what would happen if we all really believed that and acted like that? Um, and maybe it's easy for me to say, because I'm such a nerd and because I love learning new things. And I, like, I'm, I'm hungry for, for knowledge. I always like yesterday I was like looking up photosynthesis because uh, on Wikipedia, cause I wanted to make sure I understood something about chlorophyll or whatever. So anyway, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, I get that. I love learning, but imagine if we all had that hunger for truth and we knew that we didn't have it inherently in ourselves only. So we had to go look for other people. I think that would be so transformative for our culture rather I, than, you know, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, yeah. I, I'm, I think the biggest takeaway from your message for me and what I would hope that our people take away is that you can't separate truth from humility. You can't separate wisdom or the pursuit of wisdom from humility. Yeah. And you said that, um, I think you said humility is key. I've got so many notes. Oh my goodness. What a sermon <laughs> you gave. Um, yeah, you you talked about, sorry, that like humility was the key. When yeah. looking for truth, you said humility is the key. And yeah. I want to read a scripture. There are tons of scriptures related to this this topic here. Wisdom, truth, humility. Yeah. But it's James chapter 3, mm. starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life hmm. by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom wow yeah can you, wisdom and truth it's humbling yeah and if we think we possess all of the truth but we are not humble we are fool in ourselves and i don't yeah. want to be fool <laughs> i want i want wisdom and truth to humble me in verse 14 it says but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth such wisdom in quotes does not come down from heaven but mm-hmm. is earthly unspiritual demonic yeah. for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and every evil practice but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace loving hmm. considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere could you look mm. at that list just yeah. write it down somewhere yeah james three seventeen, and just check all of your postings <laughs> against <laughs> this list pure peace yeah. loving considerate submissive full of mercy good fruit impartial 
and sincere. Mm. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Mm. Yeah. I, we can't overstate humility in this age, in this era, considering our world events. But lo and behold, wisdom cries out in the streets. That, that wisdom was there all along. All along, yeah. it's right there. Yeah. We have to humble ourselves in this pursuit of truth. Yeah. Yeah, and there's and there's one other aspect to this that I didn't really get into in my message, but it's true. I, I guess I referred to it, but um, the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks through us to each other in the with the use of the spiritual gifts is something we can't we can't miss. Um, yes, there is scripture and there are human interpretations of scripture that we would be we would gain fruit by listening to one another, but also the Spirit speaks now through us to us and i think to, that that puts to, to puts to bed the idea that any of us can just rely on what we hear from the spirit alone we've got mm-hmm. to listen to what the spirit has to say with one another and the only way we can do that is with humility because often <laughs> what the spirit has to say is not always comfortable it, it requires a level of humility to say okay i'm going to listen to that and i'm going to i'm going to wrestle with that and i'm going to take that to god uh yeah cuz Sometimes the spirit rebukes us. And, and so I guess that's one last little thing I, I didn't mention in the message that I wanted to, but, um, yeah, it is, it is a, it is a posture of humility that, that, that leads to wisdom, that leads to growth in our knowledge and our truth. And it's not, uh, yeah, selfish ambition is not, uh, is not going to get us there. So. Right. Right. I think humility is a long game. Yeah. I think it's too easy to play a short game, you know, of whatever itch that scratches to just kind of blast someone with your truth. Yeah. Humility is a long game. And as we continue to learn what it means to practice self-giving love, which again is going to be fairly uncommon to most of us, um, just given that individualistic society we live in. As we, begin, yeah. as we begin to understand what it means to put that into practice and not just to know it as an arbitrary rule. Oh, yes, I'm supposed to consider others better than myself. Good right. thing I know that. Like there's, there's an application. There's, there's a practice yeah. that follows once you've received a bit of wisdom, a bit of truth. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there are two endpoints that many people reach in their life when you, you think of the folks in your life who've made it into their 80s, 90s, and it just, it really seems like there are two, there, there are plenty of different paths that people walk, but two kind of big camps that you can kind of find yourself in when you get into that age. One is the camp of just, I am bitter and I am locked in a corner and I know what's 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 right and I'm not going to let anyone tell me a thing. And and you get people who find themselves isolated and bitter and, and angry and just, yeah, and on the other side, you have those people, and I'm sure you're thinking like of your your, your grandmother, people mm-hmm. who have given themselves to this posture for decades and decades and decades. And when they reach that age, not only are they overflowing with wisdom, mm-hmm. but they're still learning and they're still wanting to find out new things. I want to be like that, right? Yes. Like I want when I get to my 90s, if I do, man, I want to be a learner. I want to be 
I want to be still inquisitive. I want to be listening to the voice of children to hear what they have to say about the world. That's one of the main things I love about hanging out with kids and listening yeah. to what kids have to say because the things that they go through their minds, the ways that they interpret stuff around them is just, you know, it blows my mind. And and I also love communicating with kids because it forces me to think differently. Yeah. Um, this Sorry, this is, we're going off on a tangent here, but that just made me think. Um, one of uh, the joys of being in a, uh, I was in a, in a small group for many years with uh, people like the Honeycuts and the Gollins, mm-hmm. and uh, they have little ones and often, well, especially the Honeycuts, but Carrie will, will text me a, a question that Miles has, mm-hmm. like, why did God, in, God invent germs? Or mm-hmm. why did God invent wasps? Or what, you know, what? So, yeah. and then to be able to think, okay, hmm, how am I going to answer that question in a, in a biblical way? And, and to be able to send it like that, forces me to think about the truth differently. So it's not even just, uh, to a yeah, six the humility year old, goes right. How <laughs> to What's a six that? year old, how old is Miles? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And which I love to do. And I'm very proud of my answer, but, um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, no, you're it's right. Stuff like that. Yeah. That's, that's what I appreciate. That's one of the many things I appreciate about our church, um, is our commitment to diversity, not only as it pertains to color and gender, but also as it pertains to age to age age. yeah 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 Yeah. and we've got our work cut out for us i mean the reality is our entire world is designed to funnel us into groups of people that are identical to us like that's that's just it seems like that's how things tend to operate uh we spend we spend our time we get connected i mean if you're a parent with toddlers you're probably going to be spending a lot of time with other parents with toddlers like it we we live in an individualistic society and so it is rare to find true multi-generational diverse diverse in socioeconomic status groups of people Um, but if it's not going to be in the church then where's it going to be like we 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 can be that and Mm -hmm. and we will see the fruit of it so um yeah it's this that this message is not one for us to like flip a switch and then get there i think it's going to be this is just a way of me saying this is what my heart is for grace and what i think grace is already Mm -hmm. situated we're already on this path um I think in time we're going to find ourselves um, growing more and more in this, and it's going to make a, us a richer community for it. Yeah, and that's exactly what this series is doing. You, is this your second sermon in officially yeah. as senior pastor? Yeah. And, and you're showing us the kind of church that we are and the kind of church that we are growing into, growing mm-hmm. to be. And, yeah. and you're telling us right now at the very beginning we're going to practice self-giving love and learn what that yeah. means. And we're going to collectively pursue truth, mm-hmm. but in a way that is humble. Yeah. And there is truth. We're not, yeah, there is. we're not, we're not without truth. We're a church that's existed for over two decades, founded on truth. Yeah. Those truths aren't going anywhere. But right. there's the truth so of much the gospel more of out Jesus. there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It it it's a matter of where does that truth take us, and how do we how do we begin to walk that path and act in response to that truth? That's where we can really uh, grow and yeah. and respond to our changing world. So, um, yeah. I'm I'm hopeful. I could be wrong on this, but I'm hopeful that as we as we see Generation Z coming of age. 
Um, and, you know, we live in this postmodern world, and postmodernism was the boogeyman when I was at Bible school. It was like, oh, postmodernism's coming where there is no truth and everything's relative. Um, but really, I mean, without this is going to sound scary to some people, but like my message this weekend, I was basically just explaining a postmodern approach to truth, acknowledging mm-hmm. your own biases, acknowledging that you have a narrative. You know, that's what that's mm-hmm. really what mm-hmm. postmodernism has led us to. And I think Generation Z is growing up with this as their just basis for mentality, like their basis for the world. Like what gen- no Generation Z kid is going to grow up or a young adult is going to grow up and implicitly assume that everything someone says because they have a PhD at the end of their name must be true. But in previous generations, experts were held to a very high regard because that was modernism. So things like that, we are now going to be able to kind of, we're, we're situated to be a church that can have the conversations with Gen Z without saying, here's the truth threshold that you have to get through. You know, you got to plow through this and you got to believe these things, check the list, and then you can be a part of our community. We're saying, no, welcome to the conversation. Welcome to the, to the wrestling. Uh, here's what we've learned. What, what have you learned? Like, yeah. let's, let's pursue Jesus together. I think that's the yeah. kind of message that could very well speak to this new generation in a time when truth is very much, uh, you know, stumbling in the streets, yeah. as Isaiah said, you know. So I, I'm hopeful that this posture is going to bear incredible fruit in the decades to come, um, in the same way that our posture at the very beginning of grace, just even just acknowledging having, having pastors who would preach and say things like, there are a few different points of view on this. Here's the one that I tend to agree with, but, but I'm not going to put too fine a point on it. Like that was a wildly, (laughs) wildly provocative when we started to have pastors that would be so open about Mm. rather than saying, and this is the right one. Yeah. Yeah. Or not even acknowledging that there's a conflict. So yeah, I think this is just our version of continuing this path of, of humility and, and pursuing truth with humility. So I agree. And I think, I don't know if it was last week or this week that you mentioned um, just how many different languages are spoken in our schools today yeah. and how important it will be that we are a intentionally multicultural, even perhaps international church and not just because of the languages as we I'm, I'm glad that you had the experience you had at fuller seminary my yeah. daughter had a world religions class in junior high school hmm. where different faith leaders this was a public junior high school different sure. faith leaders from different faiths in the city of fishers i think there was a, a muslim and a sikh and um there was some christian pastor but the the, the kids in their school curriculum were exposed to other faiths yeah and what other faiths believe yeah and so when they come back to us either in junior high or college or whatever and they say so you're telling me there's only one way mm-hmm. why is it that you think that right do you want to give them the old pat answer of because the bible oh, said now that's right y- you know <laughs> and the bible is reliable because of these facts and right. let me defend those and right yeah. or do you want to be posed to have an intelligent conversation given yeah. given everything that you have learned through practicing this humble pursuit of truth that's what i yeah. want that's how i yeah. want to be able to talk to my daughter um and my son yeah. and my grandkids someday right right <laughs> we don't want to be the uh the christians with trousers on when i was in kenya back in um 2005 i did get a chance to go out to uh the 
near the border of Somalia. I went to this village out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, when I was in this this town on the way to the village, I was talking to a local pastor there and uh, he pointed out the easiest way to tell who all the Christian men were, were the men wearing trousers mm-hmm. because all the all the Muslim men wore these, these Kikoi looking things, these like uh, skirt kind of things. And I asked him why, and it was because the, the missionaries who came told yeah. us that we had to wear trousers. And so we yeah. wear trousers and that's how you tell us apart. And so yeah. that's not going to be us. We, you know, we are going to, because obviously that's not the truth, right? That's not, you don't have to be a, a trouser wearing Christian. You just have to follow Jesus and right. you can wear your skirt thing. Cause that's what your culture does and all that. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to be the church that forces people to lose. Right. We're going to, we're going to be a church that focuses on the main thing. And the main thing is the the death yes. and the resurrection of Jesus that leads to the transformation of us and our world. So we're going to yeah. keep focusing on that and, and, uh, but we, we, we are open to the conversation. That's, yeah, that's who we are. Yeah. Well, thank you for this message, Barry. Uh, again, I might've gotten some writer's cramp writing as mm. fast and furiously as I did. Barry, I listened to this message three times. Oh my word. Because you wow. said so much in this message. And I know we're trying to keep this podcast short and there were other it's avenues. It's, it, we're already, we're already over that. So. Ah, we're the worst. <laughs> We need Tyler. <laughs> Sorry, Tyler. Totally gone astray without Tyler. Uh, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for preaching this message. And where do we go from here? Good question. Um, thank you for saying that, Marin. I'm, I, it was a lot of fun to, to give this message. I was all fired up when I came home because um, this kind of stuff is my favorite to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, Next week, we are talking about Grace Church being a refuge in the storm. And I'm, I'm, this is going to be, I don't know. I don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. I'm still working on it. But it's its really just going to be kind of a call for us to be a community that truly welcomes everyone, that opens wide our doors. And, and by that, I mean like people who are broken, people who are uncomfortable to be with, people who are dealing with very messy issues. Uh, they are a part of us and they are not, it's not... They're not charity cases that we go and we help some somewhere else. They are a part of our community. And that's going to be challenging for us and it'll be uncomfortable for us. Mm. Um, but it's who we're called to be. We are the church. And so I think that's that's kind of where I'll be I'll be going. I'll be looking at Romans twelve, um, talking about, you know, when you, you know, love others, truly love them. And so we're gonna truly love people. And that's who we're gonna be, a refuge in the storm. So we'll talk about that and then after that we'll go into a new series, which I'm very excited about, and I'll talk about next week. Yeah. All right. Well, should I send us out? Should oh, I'll say that. Marin, <laughs> would you please send us out? We got this, man. We're good I at this. I sure will. Man, we've been talking so much about humility lately, right? And yeah. I've been like, I told Jed the other day, I forget what I was ranting about, but it was a, it was a legitimate rant. And I'm like, I've been telling these folks for three years. <laughs> Do justly. <laughs> Love mercy and walk humbly with that God. So we'll see you on the other side of Sunday. <laughs>